mini episode 1092 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode number 1092. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with you today. We've got our Super Bowl preview for this year, and uh, it is going to be a huge breakdown that we're going to be doing. A gentleman who joined us for breaking down the Super Bowl last year is back with us as well. He's been with us three times on the show previously, many episodes, 816, 903, and 957. And uh, this is a gentleman who is a veteran of the Super Bowl stage, a veteran of sacking Tom Brady, a veteran of playing against him in the Super Bowl. That was, of course, the first Rams-Patriots game, and now we got the second one coming up in the Super Bowl. Uh, I could only be speaking of one of the great defensive ends of his time, Chidi Ahanatu. Chidi, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you for making time for us today. Thanks for having me, Rick. It's a real pleasure to have you back on, and uh, this game obviously has uh, an awful lot of intrigue, and uh, it is yet another time for Tom Brady on uh, the big stage. I don't know that any of us could have imagined when he and Belichick were first there in the Super Bowl back at this time in 2002, that this would be such a regular occurrence, the ninth time in the big game. On the other sideline, there is a, uh, a, a raw-boned, big-armed young quarterback here, and uh, I know there's some real fondness in your heart for him. You're actually the second guest that we've had in the last couple of weeks here to share an alma mater with Jared Goff, the other being the great Liz Clayman of Fox Business Network. Uh, so obviously she's cheering him on. I know you are as well, and you've got to be very uh, proud of him. That's a guy, when he was coming out in the draft, I can tell everybody I told you so. I was dying for the Browns to get him. Everything worked out well for the Browns in the end, but boy, I, I, I could see it early on in college, the way this guy throws the deep ball, Cheaty. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I've admired him over the years in college and uh, at Cal Berkeley. Uh, he uh, definitely had a knack for for, uh, for the long ball and, uh, you know, generating a lot of offensive production. You know, his demeanor, very stoic, very hard to rattle a guy. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be prouder, I mean, to see my alma mater on the big stage, um, especially at that position, the quarterback position. Um, so we're all rooting for him, not only as former Rams, but all of us Cal Bears as well. As well. That's right. you got two reasons right there. Now, something that was interesting, I was checking this out this week. Uh, I had tip to Cynthia Freeland. I was checking this out on the Game Theory and Money podcast. She mentioned this about Jared Goff in terms of uh, his tendencies this year, that he's been super strong on second down, not so much on third down, and third down has been where there's been some unfortunate interceptions. I think a lot of times maybe he's tried to press to kind of make it happen. Is that, in your estimation, I mean, again, we're not looking at the specifics of the situations here, so just generally speaking, would it be your guess as an analyst that something like that would still kind of come from youth at this point, still kind of growing into the game, or when a quarterback is that much better, I mean, by drastic margins on second down and third down, what do you think might be some of the reasons behind that? Uh, 
long or third, or all third downs? Well, all third downs, but you bring up an excellent point. I think Cynthia Freeland said that uh, third down and long, obviously the numbers kind of got uglier the longer it was. So, you know, maybe that's part of the answer right there, huh? Well, I mean, you know, I play defense, so one thing that happens on the third long, we all know you're not going to run it. So Right. When they have when they have a, a running back like Todd Gurley, uh, you know the defense is usually you know trying to key on him and those early downs. Uh, you know third down comes, they can kind of rally around the pass more. Um, and uh, as of late, they haven't been going to Gurley for some reason. I don't know why. So you know his options his options uh, decrease uh, as far as uh, where he can dump the ball off to and. Maybe there's something he's, uh, you know, showing his hand of some sort. I mean, we key on every little thing, you know. Uh, you know, maybe the way he, he, maybe, you know, the way he looks off his receivers. I mean, there's all types of reasons why uh, maybe teams are keen on him more on third downs. Uh, you know, maybe he's being too predictable. Um, but I, I know this is throwing out things. I mean, it could be sure. a, a, whole range of, a whole range of issues of why uh, a guy's stats might dip in the third down, third long. Sure. Um, well, I'd have, to sit, I'd have to sit down and study the tape. Oh, sure, <laughs> for the specifics. But, yeah, I mean, as far as the generalities go, but as an analyst, that's what we look to you for. I mean, you, you threw out a lot of good options, I think, and, and maybe no better option than the first one you said, which is that it's a little more predictable on third and long. You're probably not going to be able to run the ball, especially when, and it, it's so interesting you mentioned Todd Gurley because I wanted to talk about him a little bit because – it, it To me, I was looking at the recent history of the Super Bowl, and when you're looking at a guy, I, I think there is, and I've been, I've been big on him ever since his days at Georgia, and, and I knew that he was going to be the next big thing coming in. When you look at a guy who was arguably the best running back in the league, and yeah, he, he, he had kind of a rough effort there in uh, New Orleans. That ball that went right through his hands that led to the interception, uh, he didn't have a lot of burst the times he was in there. But, hey, C.J. Anderson was going pretty good, so they didn't really need Todd Gurley. They're going to need him to win this game. But it's interesting because a guy who is one of the best backs in the game, if not the best back, you don't see that on the big stage very much in the 21st century. I was kind of looking at this like Edger and James, Hall of Fame caliber running back, but he made it in 2009. His best days were kind of behind him. Corey Dillon and Sean Alexander a little earlier in the decade, but neither one of those guys were Hall of Famers because their careers were a little bit shorter. Todd Gurley, if he plays a full career, certainly projects to be a Hall of Famer. When you look at a Hall of Fame guy in his prime in the Super Bowl, I almost wonder if you got to go back to when you were in the game, Marshall Falk. I think there's a, there's a good case to be made that Todd Gurley might be the best running back uh, in a Super Bowl since Marshall Falk. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. Um, they both have the same style of uh, of, uh, of play, you know, being a run threat and a passing threat. Um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of biased. I looks maybe in the, in the Hall of Fame one day. So, uh, I, you know, he's a, he's a Cal Berkeley guy. So yeah, uh, I, I don't know if if he has the numbers to make the Hall of Fame, but he's a Hall of Fame in my book. And he's, he's played in the Super Bowl, obviously, with the Seattle Seahawks since uh, uh, Marshall uh, played with me. That's but, right. Uh, but, no, it, it, it has been rare. We have had a ton of great running back uh, uh, that I can remember uh, since Marshall. Yeah. Uh, that have been on the center stage. 
it's been kind of weird. Yeah, I don't exactly know why that's been. And yeah, you're you're right uh, because Lynch would obviously be one of the guys that, that's on that list. But it's again, it's not a very long list in the 21st century. It's it's weirder than you would think to see Todd Gurley there, not least of which because people in the media aren't really talking it up that much that it's kind of an anomaly to see such a great running back in the Super Bowl. Uh, Something else that it's an anomaly to see, you don't see it that many times where there's a guy who is arguably the best defensive player in the game who is in the Super Bowl. J.J. Watt hasn't made it to the Super Bowl this decade. The list kind of goes on. Von Miller's been there twice. You could look at the Legion of Boom guys and make a case for them the times they were there, but the, the guy that most people would probably finger as being the best defensive player in the game right now, Aaron Donald. Uh, Jay Glazer had singled him out earlier this week. It was a great column on The Athletic uh, as, as being the, the non-quarterback in this game who might make the biggest splash. I think there's a case to be made that he might make the biggest splash, period, when you're looking at this, because I think this is something we talked about last year going into the Super Bowl. Teams that can establish a four-man rush on Tom Brady have been successful. Now, the Eagles managed to do it last year by outscoring them, uh, as opposed to the four-man rush, although they got pressure at critical times, not least of which when they forced the strip sack. So Aaron Donald, with everything he can bring to bear, you got Nadam Kong Su, one of the great defensive players of the generation, also right next to him there at defensive tackle, and and playing several years younger, it looks like, in these playoffs, uh, because uh, he's certainly played better than he has during the regular season. So uh, I'd like to get your thoughts uh, as a defensive lineman yourself uh, about Donald and the, the the rest of that front four and how critical they are to the outcome of this game. Well, you know, I'm a defensive lineman, so, you know, honestly, and I don't think it's preached and harped on enough, if any pass is completed, if you're a defensive lineman, you should take that personally. Because if you get in that quarterback's face or knock the ball down or hurry him or sack him, pressure him, that ball doesn't get completed. And... You know, the, 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 if defensive line can do that all game long, you're gonna win all all day long. You're gonna win every time. Uh, no, no, <clears throat> there's very little positions out there on the field that can affect the game so directly and immediately than the defensive line. So, you know, you got Aaron Donald. I mean, people used to say Warren Sapp, a teammate of mine in Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, they never see another guy like him, and he's a very special, special player. Uh, he changed the game. Uh, Aaron Donald is is right there with Warren as far as changing the game, changing the prototypical type of defensive lineman that people think of. Uh, you know, he's he's just uh, he, he's he's a, he's a guy you have to worry about every play and can change the game. So if he, if they can uh, get him going, Tom's gonna have Tom Brady's gonna have a long day, long night, and he can definitely uh, impact that game. No question about that, and when you look at it again, the, the strongest part collectively, uh, certainly of that defense, the front four, but if you isolate it a little bit more, obviously Donald, obviously Sue, who is somebody who has put together a Hall of Fame career himself, and again, looks to have turned back the years a little bit in the two playoff games here. There's been some speculation that maybe knowing that this was coming, there was going to be a long playoff run. Maybe he was kind of saving up for it physically a little bit. That's just speculation, but he certainly looked better uh, in in January than he did for a chunk of the season. And then the other part of that combination would obviously be uh, you you get into the schematics of Wade Phillips and everything that he brings to bear. And it's, it's long been my contention on this show that uh, coordinators should be eligible for the Hall of Fame as well. You don't generally uh, get that that much. Uh, if they were, Wade Phillips would be a Hall of Fame defensive coordinator. I think he's worthy of having a bust in Canton. 
Now, obviously, he's gone up against the Patriots in some big games this decade with what happened in Denver there. But as far as how he's going to deploy uh, Donald and Sue and, and the rest of the front four as well, but when, when you're looking at a linebacking core that really kind of falls off uh, fairly steeply in some ways from what you're seeing from the front four, if you're Wade Phillips, if you're just sitting there at the chalkboard, what are you thinking might be some good ways to deploy these two guys and the rest of your front four against Brady and that offensive line? Well, honestly, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty impressed with their entire front four. Uh-huh. Uh, Ubi Can and uh, I don't remember the other end of the name. Oh, yeah, the guy uh, from Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Fowler. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty impressed with both of those guys as well. And when you have a Donald and a Sue in the middle, you have an opportunity to really exploit those outside because no one's really going to be paying attention to those guys. Uh, I honestly believe those two ends can really impact the game. Uh, if I was Wade, I would be focusing on them. I mean, you know, all eyes will be on Sue and Donald. Um, and while you pay the attention to those guys, meanwhile, your ends can be wrecking havoc. So uh, they'll be chip blocking on the inside, I'm sure, with the back releasing on the inside, uh, double teaming, of course. Um, so while you have all that action going on on the inside of the line, your ends have an opportunity to really cause some damage. That's an excellent point, and uh, Fowler is somebody who, again, didn't get off to the greatest start in his career, but uh, certainly had a lot of raw physical talent as a high first-round pick, and uh, the Rams have basically seen that investment in him pay off, and uh, you're absolutely right that they can get a lot of pressure from the outside as well. Now, one of the things that I've heard in the analysis of this week, uh, it's been pointed out in a few quarters, and, and justifiably so, that if you just look at on paper in the NFC Championship game, the job that the Rams did as far as uh, the running game of New Orleans, if you take that literally just the running backs in the running game, they did pretty much keep them under uh, lock and key. Having said that, Kamara kind of went bananas the way that he generally does on the short passes, the screen passes, etc. So on the whole, a pretty good day for the New Orleans running backs if you're just looking at total yardage, which at the end of the day is you know, the, the, the real indicator of success, we would all agree. So when, when you're looking at this, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're the Rams, if you're looking at the job you did on stopping them, uh, again, the Rams uh, defensively this year, uh, in terms of rushing yards, they were 23rd in the league. So they gave up a lot of rushing yards. Obviously, again, they did a better job on Championship Sunday than they did through the course of the year. Uh, you know, would you feel pretty good about that going into New England, or would it still be kind of daunting? Because even if you shut down Sony Michelle and James White on the runs, they're still going to be able to, to bust you up with with the screen passes. I wonder how optimistic or pessimistic they might be coming off of that performance facing a New England team that's going to put a lot of pressure on them with that game. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you just face the two uh, the two of the best in the game and the Saints running backs. So it can do nothing but boost your confidence going into the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Sonny Michelle is a very capable back, but I'm sorry, he's not a he's not an Alvin Kamara, no, by any means. Um, and then you got James White there as well, you know, a little bit of scat back. Um, but you know, you got a, you got the running back uh, Ingram, who they bottled up as well. So I mean, he can be nothing but, but boost their confidence. Um, I'm sure they won't be overly confident because you got to take everything seriously in the Super Bowl. But um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that they're they're feeling good about themselves. Oh, they got to be. They got to be. Yeah, because again, they've they've had uh, a better effort against the running game 
recently than they've had. Of course, uh, the thing is, uh, Brady is good at using the, the backs to attack through the air, and he, he kind of has to because, again, this is, you know, with, with Josh Gordon uh, going uh, by the wayside, which uh, those of us in Cleveland could have seen coming a mile away, they don't really have a classic deep threat at this point. You've got Edelman kind of going up the seam. You've got Gronkowski, who is, for a tight end, you know, I, he's a deep threat, but you kind of have to put that qualifier on it. So it's it's a very interesting kind of a dynamic here because – I almost think it's kind of a throwback maybe to when you guys played Brady in the Super Bowl because he became more of a classic kind of deep passer, successful, uh, you know, statistical quarterback in the middle part of his career into the latter part of his career. But but this year, with the short passes, with the timing routes, getting the ball out of his hand quickly uh, and, and exploiting defenses in that way, it's been really interesting that he hasn't had a he hasn't really needed a deep threat. He hasn't needed somebody to be able to go over the top. Philip Dorsett, I guess, can do it once in a blue moon when they need it done. But uh, it's it's very interesting because people talk about how Jared Goff has suffered since Cooper Cup uh, went down to injury, and that's true. The Rams' offense hasn't been the same, but he's still got Woods. He's still got uh, Brandon Cooks able to go deep. Brady doesn't really have the deep threat, and yet, strangely enough, it hasn't hurt him thus far. I, I wonder if it's going to hurt him in the Super Bowl or not. Well, I mean, he's been a he's been a methodical uh, quarterback his whole career. I mean, right. the system just you know taking little chunks down the field, all the way down the field. I mean, the only time uh, what was the receiver's name? <laughs> My mind blanks out. Moss. Uh, oh, Randy Moss. Yeah, and Randy. Randy. That was the last time they had a long threat, a real deep ball threat. Yeah, that's true. And uh, again, they, they, they had. But, to... I, I, but honestly, Rick, uh-huh. but honestly, Rick, I, you know, I think the Patriots kind of squeaked into the whole situation. I mean, they got a favorable matchup with the Chiefs with a, the horrible defense they have, and they got to play them. Uh, did they play them in New England? I believe they played them in New England. Previously, yeah, yeah, and. Uh... No, no. The championship game. That was uh, that was KC. Yeah, but they. Uh, oh, they played KC. They played yeah. KC. But the fact is, their defense is just, you know, it's just a joke, honestly. I mean, they hadn't stopped anybody all year. Right. Um. So I think they kind of. I don't know. You know, I don't want to say squeaked in, but you know, this Rams defense is not the is not a, is not the Kansas City Chiefs defense. They're a lot. They're a lot more formidable. Um. A lot better coached. You know, they fired their defensive coordinator for the Chiefs uh, shortly after uh, after the. So yeah, I think I think I think the Patriots going to have a, a rough go of it. I mean, you know, honestly, I think you know, throughout the season, I think once uh, what saved the Patriots was Edelman coming back. That's right. Because Brock was Brock is so beat up, and you know, Sonny Michelle and and James White, you know, they weren't really. That's a great point. And uh, again, he is a very methodical quarterback. You are right about that. And uh, he's going to have to be very effective in that role on Sunday if he's going to be successful. And uh, yeah, there's no comparing uh, the Chiefs defense to the Rams defense, uh, not least of which, again, you got players like Sue and Donald, but also the coaching of Wade Phillips, who is uh, among the elite of the elite. Uh, as far as coaching goes, people are focusing on uh, the, the head coaching matchup, the young wizard and the older wizard of uh, McVeigh v. 
Belichick. And uh, I got to say, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of heartened talking to you the way that you seem to be leaning in this game because, again, uh, those of us in, in Cleveland where I'm based uh, got no love for Bill Belichick and never will. So I'm in the same boat I was in a year ago where I think the Patriots are going to win. I don't want that to be the case. Right now I think I would say Patriots 31-27, but it's weird because the analytics seem to be pointing towards the Rams. I think the wise guys are kind of going towards the Rams because the line, uh, as soon as it got up to Patriots minus three, the wise guys jumped on it and bet it back down. So uh, the, the, the people with the calculators seem to think that the Rams have a chance, just or a very good chance. Those of us doing the eye test kind of a thing tend to think, ah, oh, God, here go the Patriots again and be resigned to the inevitable, but uh, I'm, I'm very heartened that somebody who played the game at a high level like you doesn't seem to think that's an inevitability, so maybe there's a good chance for the Rams. I mean, all they got to do is get the ball to Todd Gurley, as far as I'm concerned, and they'll, uh, and they'll win that game. You know, that's a, that's a running back they haven't been utilizing over, over the playoffs, and I don't know why. I mean, is he hurt? I mean, I don't, I don't really understand what's going on. Um, I don't think he's hurt. I don't think that's the case. I, I, I think, you know, he, he was a little banged up late in the year, but I think he's he's good to go now. And I would agree with you. Yeah, I mean, if they if they can unleash Todd Gurley, it is going to be a long day for New England and uh, something that I would very much like to see uh, in that regard. So we'll have to see how it uh, plays out. But uh, I want to note also, Cheedy, uh, that uh, this, this was very interesting. This was something you had keyed in on on Twitter and this was something somebody else had flagged for me as being very, very significant. It's not getting a lot of run in the media. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Roger Goodell gets asked about it this week. But you flagged on Twitter that story about uh, the NFL's challenges with insurance and the fact that there's only one insurer that will uh, that will take them on anymore for uh, head injuries and that type of thing, and that uh, it presents... I think a critical risk to the future of the NFL because if, if that kind of stuff gets to be ruled uninsurable by any of the big insurers out there, I mean, it might be melodramatic to say the NFL shuts down, but the, the challenges in terms of reopening would be just staggering. So I, 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 was, I want to commend you for, for having pointed out that story because it's way more significant than anybody thinks right now. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, <laughs> I don't use Twitter that often, so I'm surprised you saw that. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm more of a Facebook guy. But um, I saw that, and uh, I just really, really piqued my interest because, you know, over the next five years, I don't know how long it would take for it to, uh, you know, negatively impact the game. But you know, that's a that's a that's a real problem if the, the uh, insurance carriers don't don't back the, the NFL anymore. Um, you know, let's leave them very vulnerable. Uh, something like that. We through collective bargaining agreements, you can kind of stave off those kind of issues because you can address it up front. Uh, in the case of those type of injuries, X, Y, and Z would happen instead of just leaving it up to insurance. Uh, battles, um, but I'm not an insurance guy by any means, and I don't know exactly how it all works. But uh, I just know that if you try to have a uh, viable business and nobody will cover you, that's <laughs> that's not good. Yeah, I mean, that's I, not good at all. 
I'm not an insurance guy either, Cheaty, but you, you, you identified the only thing that people really need to know, which is that point there, that uh, with, without, and, and again, everything else, apparently the NFL will still be able to get insured uh, because there, there's no fear on the part of any insurance carriers or anything like that of, of anything else that could lead them to go bust. But the NFL's got to have the head angle covered because that's the one, and you and I have talked about this on the show, that justifiably so, the NFL is going to have to keep ponying up well into the future uh, as a result of the legacy of, of when you were playing and even before you. You go back to the leather helmets, guys, and that uh, the NFL's got a lot to answer for financially here, and the insurers are looking at it, and they're making a very rational decision that, hey, these guys aren't a good insurance risk. And, and when you add it all up, uh, again, the thing you pointed out, that bottom line is the only thing anybody really needs to know at this point, which is if the NFL loses that last insurance carrier that is willing to cover this stuff, they are screwed big time. Yeah, I mean, not looking at what's happened, what may happen in the future, even what's going on as we sit here with our, law, with our lawsuit against the NFL for the NFL concussion uh, issue. I mean, they're already spent. Um, I forget the exact number, but they've already spent uh, hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, and I think it's a $65 billion lawsuit, but, you know, if they they never thought they'd have to actually pay that $65 billion, um, but that the rate is going, <laughs> yeah. you might reach that You might reach that number. Very possibly. And, and justifiably so, because there is, uh, as we've said previously on the show, a moral obligation uh, to make good for everybody that laid their bodies on the line, and a lot of times under false pretenses, with uh, the risks not being fully expressed to everybody as they are today. And uh, again, a, a different game today, a safer game today, but we'll get to see uh, how much further that can even endure into the future with this insurance question. But, yeah, something that somebody should ask Roger Goodell this week at one of the press conferences, but uh, I'm guessing they probably won't, and the NFL-approved media will not uh, go out of their way to bring it up. But uh, that's why when you do a segment like this, uh, you want to do it with somebody outside of the NFL-approved media. So, Cheedy, it is a real pleasure to have you on the show here, uh, a, a fourth great appearance uh, for you on the program here. A wonderful analysis uh, of the Super Bowl and uh, just a real pleasure every time we get a chance to talk to you, sir. Look forward to the next time we get to do it and thank you so much for carving out time for us. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it too, Cheedy. Thank you so much for being here and thank you everybody for checking out FDH Lounge Mini Episode number 1092. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, All Clear Channel Affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google com ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse and the Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements. 